The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narconon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. We're back again. Here we are. We're here talking about drug addiction, drug and alcohol addiction, because that's what we do on this podcast. It is, and hopefully some people out there have learned a lot by listening to it and also hopefully gotten some hope. Exactly. That there is help for addiction and that there's no such thing as a throwaway addict, that everyone can be helped and it's a matter of how you go about doing it that matters. Absolutely. And so today I wanted to uh, treat everybody out there by bringing my parents onto the podcast so other families can hear about not only what we went through as a family, but also what the other side of everything is. Right. And I think that's going to be valuable because in the same way that we did a few weeks ago, we get where we had a mom's perspective, we're going to get a mom and possibly even a dad's perspective as well on this whole thing. And hopefully... You'll be comfortable the whole time, Jason. (laughs) I don't know. This could be really interesting. They are brutally honest. Okay. And they're going to let everyone know how, what the situation looks like, how it happens, but what the good outcomes can be, you know, what the positivity that can come out of it are. And, um, I hope they don't make me cringe, but they might. And I will just go from there and we'll bring them on the line and we'll talk to them. Okay. Let's do it. All right. So, hello, Pam and Jeff. Hi, Joni. Hi, Joni. Hi, Jace. Hey, Jace. Hello, I'm here. <laughs> thank you guys for being here. Yeah, I really, I want to thank you guys for being on the podcast. I was mentioning before you guys got on that uh, a few weeks ago, we had a mom on the line. And I think that the, it's just a different perspective from you guys than what, we typically talk about right so i'm i'm glad that you're here i i've listened to every podcast that you've made me too (laughs) oh wow (laughs) (laughs) so we're at least familiar okay are you liking the direction we go in i do i do and i think it's interesting that you bring um that you bring to the public everything that's going on in the addiction world but at the same time, you're giving all different side, all different perspectives and views um, that each person brings to this. Exactly. And, and one, one message that I'm getting is that there is hope. That's the message you're trying to put across. I am so glad that you guys are getting that message because I think that, and you can probably relate to this even better than I can, I think that there is a time when you discover that your loved one is addicted and you don't know what to do and you don't know that there's hope. Definitely. There was a period of time that I thought it was hopeless. I even confronted Jason and told him that. Right. I thought he'd be an addict forever. I understand. Yeah. And, and you know, when you're an addict going through it, you actually get to the point where you believe the same thing. Right. Because after you try to get help and it doesn't work, you try to get help again and it doesn't work. Eventually you do lose complete and utter hope that anything's ever going to get better. Exactly. And and had there been podcasts when we were going through it, it may have been way more helpful than what we went through. We we had to self-educate. Yes, I can imagine. Well, tell me your story. I mean, start at the beginning. When did you first realize that Jason had a problem? I have to tell you that 
I know that from listening to your other podcasts and when you speak to um, other former addicts that you always are asking them what their journey is. And I think it's important or what their journey was, but I think it's important for people to know that the family goes on a journey as well. It's a different journey, but it is definitely a journey. That's why we're talking. Exactly. And I, and I really think that it's helpful to get the parents' perspectives for other parents. Right. Because the one thing that we didn't have when all of this started is we had no one to talk to. Exactly. This was our first dealing with addiction ever, except for I had a stepbrother that was an addict, but we didn't really deal with that. Um, and we had no place to turn, nowhere to go, because we didn't want to talk about it. Um, and I think that what happens when the family first realizes that something is going on, that especially between a husband and wife, a mother and a father, they're generally not on the same page about this. And that's why us and it puts a lot of stress on a relationship. Because uh, when we first started to realize that there was something going on with Jason, I was in total denial. <laughs> not me. <laughs> and no. Jeff was not. Nope. And he kept telling me. I kept saying, Jason's addicted. He's an addict. And I, kept, and I kept saying no and kept sending him more and more money. Right. Because I was sure that he was in the University of Miami. He was in a fraternity. He definitely needed all that extra money. <laughs> you know, and I just kept thinking that, wow, he's a smart kid, and I don't understand how he keeps running out of money. How does he not know that there's money, that there's no money in his bank account anymore? <laughs> you know? But even when we found out, Pam, you were, in, you were enabling him. Yeah, but we'll get to that after. Okay, where so, I was trying not to. So anyway, I mean... Jason was always a kind of kid that needed to fit in when he was in high school. Um, and so when he went to college, I thought that was going to be like a blossoming period. But instead of that, it was his um, journey into addiction period. And the first year or so, we, we didn't really realize that there was anything going on. He did well, he, he did well in school. Um, and then as time went on, Things got a little like weird. That, that you know that something's going on, but you don't know what it is. Right. And it, it was funny because I, I, I was. I knew what it was. You didn't. Right. Well, anyway, I was listening to last week's podcast today, and you're always and Jason's always bringing up that parents should be when they suspect that something's going on, they should be ready to have that difficult conversation. And we couldn't do that because every time we would try and have that difficult conversation, he would, well, shut, down. He would shut down and he would say, there's nothing wrong. What are you talking about? So I, I find it funny that now, you know, he sees the other side of this. Right. Right. Um, but, but the addict has to be receptive. Right. And, and, and that's my point. Most, most, and Jason, you can corroborate this and maybe I'm wrong, but I think that most people who are actively using are not willing to have that conversation. That's, that's partially true, you know, some of the time. And I've said it in the podcast before that, 
you know, the reason a person becomes addicted is because they feel like they found something that helps them deal with life when they couldn't deal with it otherwise. And so when that conversation starts to happen, you know, the addict sometimes will take it as a threat because you're threatening to take something away from them. That's the very thing they use to cope with life. And so for me, that was one of the things that I was dealing with is because when I became addicted to cocaine, I thought I had found the one thing that fixed my low self-confidence, my low self-esteem that helped me fit in, helped me do all these things I didn't think I could ordinarily do. And so the idea of that getting taken away was almost scarier than dying. Right. So then when we would try and bring it up, you would just get angry. Yep. And totally shut us off, you know, shut us out. So for parents, it's, it's hard to have to have that conversation. If you're looking, you know, at it from the outside and not having gone through it before, it makes sense to to say, oh, well, all you have to do is confront your loved one, you know, and have that conversation and off to re- you know to treatment you go. But it doesn't it doesn't quite work that way, right? Because they're not going to admit it, right? And even you know, even if you throw a drug a drug test at them, they're going to refuse to take it. So then you know that they're using, right? But there's still, you can't, you still can't take the next step. It's very difficult. But anyway, with Jason, when, when we finally realized that he was using, and as Jeff said, it was many years before I was willing to admit it. Um, it was, it was very difficult for us because we didn't know, we didn't know what to do. So, um, we actually brought him home from university of Miami, told him he had to finish school, at. Um, University of Massachusetts, and with, he was living with us, but unbeknownst to us, right under our noses, he was using and um, Jason and stealing from us, oh, yeah. I guess I can say that, and um, one time um, he pawned my camera and helped me look for it when I couldn't <laughs> find it, Typical and that's when we knew that there was a real problem. And at that point, we told him that he had to find a treatment center to go to. And if he didn't try and if he didn't, he could leave the house. But we gave him two days to find a place. And, and he did. And it was one of those wilderness treatment centers because we didn't know anything about treatment. So we found this wilderness treatment center in Utah. And we sent him there for nine weeks where he um, lived in, in nature in a tent he learned how he learned how to make fires using rubbing two sticks together. But Jason thought he was in summer camp. It didn't work. <laughs> and we went out there for graduation and they sat us down and they, you know, told us what to expect and what to do when we get home. But they they never really educated us as to what addiction is, how, you know, how it works. So he was 21 years old. We pick him up at this camp um, in Utah. We stay overnight and we take him out for dinner and ask him what he wanted, what he wanted to drink. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> you know, well, that was, that was his first relapse. He, he, he wasn't out of there for an hour. <laughs> we didn't know about relapsing. We didn't, we we're not educated. We just thought, well, he's cured. Right. So we didn't know. We brought him home. We allowed him to continue to drink or whatever. And of course, you know, probably the second he got home, he used again. 
Um, but he was able to function and keep it under Q while he was finishing school. Only because you enabled him to function. Right. Instead of throwing him out of the house. Right. But I didn't really realize that he was using it. And he came home. Um, he met a girl. Um, huh. He graduated from college. We, we thought he was fine. We weren't 100% positive, but we, we thought he was okay. And so they moved to Florida together. And that's when everything hit the fan, and he started really using. And one day we got, we got a call from his girlfriend and said, I can't take it anymore. There are dealers that are coming to my house. They're threatening me. You know, you have to do something about this. So that was when we first realized that this, this was a huge, huge problem. So at that point, I mean, this was a really long journey because at that point we went down, we took him out of the apartment that he was living in with his girlfriend. We put him in my father's house with my father because my father was sure he could cure him. Um, and I wanted him to go into a treatment center, but he was working and he had a really good job. And I was afraid if we took his job away from him, then he would have nothing left and he would continue to use. So I founded a treatment center with an IOP, which is an intensive outpatient program. Yep. But at the time, we didn't realize that they're a joke. They don't work. Um, And it's mostly used for people who have been inpatient and as like a support when they come out. Right. But um, we, have, we put him in this. I don't even think he showed up half the time. Uh, and things were getting bad to worse. So I told him he had to leave my father's house. And we found a halfway house for him. And he continued. And he still, he still had his job. Um, but that didn't last very long because what happens with addicts is that they spiral down very quickly, and there's no way that they're that they're ever able to keep a job. Show up, um, right? They don't show up. They steal, and eventually they get caught and and they get fired. So anybody out there who's thinking, I'd rather my my child or my loved one work while they're getting treatment yeah. is doing nothing but fooling themselves because actually treatment is the only thing that's important. Right. And, um, and a, a lot of families went our route. I mean, it's a, it's a natural progression because you don't really understand how dangerous addiction is. You know, you just think, oh, my God, well, they'll go for treatment and they'll be cured. Right. <laughs> you know? it's car wash. It's car wash. Right. And so Jason had a difficult time in the, in the beginning. He was in and out of about five different rehabs. They were all 12-step. And he just could not connect with that treatment approach. Mm -hmm. And and they would tell us, you know, he does really great when he's in here, but he's never going to make it on the outside because he's not ready. And every place would say he's not ready. Well, what what do you have to do to get ready? They used to, they they actually used to tell me that too. Right. They they would actually tell me, we don't expect you to make it once you leave. And, you know, eventually they they have to let you loose. And so he would go from treatment center to halfway house. And relapse. Within two months, he was back into another treatment center. And, you know, 12 step, um, AA, um, 
tells you that relapse is part of recovering. And they also, and when, so when you're told that, what's, okay. the, what's the point? Right. No, it's okay. You have a disease. It's okay. I'm sick. I have a disease. Right. What, what's the point? And another thing that, you know, they espouse the big book. And one of the things that the big book says, um, what is the definition of insanity? Well, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Right. Well, that's exactly what we were doing. We were, we were putting them in the same program. Oh, you know, it may have been a different venue, but it was the same program over and over and over again and expecting that one time it was actually going to work. And um, we wasted a lot of a lot of time money. and a lot of money, um, a lot of scary days in between. And uh, that that made it really difficult. Uh, so somewhere in that part of our journey, we were we found out about a support group for families of addicts. And I just want to put a little plug in for that. Sure. Because, because it's national now. You saw me in Massachusetts, but now it's national. We have thousands of members. Um, I actually used to facilitate some of the meetings for that. It was one of the most helpful organizations um, out there. And what would happen is, actually, Jeff went to a meeting without me first. It was Jason's 25th birthday. He was going to be arrested <laughs> on his birthday. Okay. So I was freaking out. And um, Wow. Yeah. It, it was bad. And I said, why do I want to go? Why do I want to you know, air my dirty laundry in public? What am I going to say? What are there people that know us? Because it was in our town. And um, so I refused to go. And he went without me. He's I don't care. I'm going. He went without me. He came home and he said, this is the best thing I've ever found. I don't care what you say. You're coming with me next week. And I went and it was your, your eyes just go wide because all of a sudden you're sitting in a room with all of these parents who are going through the exact same thing that you're going through. Same story, different names. Yeah. And it's not, um, it's not like Al-Anon or anything like that because they, in Al-Anon and those groups, they just sort of um, do the 12 steps with the families. This was an organization where you actually got to speak about what you were going through, what your child was going through, or your husband or whoever you were there for, and get ideas from other parents as to things that you can do. So we would talk, and these people are the people who set us straight. And what's the name of this group, Pam? It's called Learn to Cope. They have... Um, they have meetings all over the state of Massachusetts. There are two meetings in Florida on the East Coast, so one in Fort Lauderdale and one in West Palm. But their website, uh, on their website, they have a forum which is open 24-7. Anybody can go on there and, t and talk to somebody immediately. Wow. So if you're going through a crisis, there's always someone on there to help you through it. Um, if you don't mind me saying, their website is learn, L-E-A-R-N, the number two, cope, C-O-P-E dot org. Good. You can just go on that website and register for the forum, and it's very, 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 very helpful. Yeah, I was going to ask you to be sure and give us the website, because it's another resource for 
parents and family members. And it sounds like it was very valuable for you. It is valuable because we would sit there and we would tell them what we were going through, what Jason was going through. And they would say, what are you doing? Do you not understand how much you're enabling him to continue (laughs) using? So they set you straight and they point out to you, you know, why a different approach may be better than what than what you're doing. So that's how we really started our journey towards recovery because the families have to recover just as well as the addicts. That's right. And um, they're the ones that taught us tough love. And I do believe that tough love works. Jason, what do you think about that? I absolutely believe that tough love works. And I absolutely believe that you believe that tough love works too. <laughs> yes, I definitely got it. <laughs> Well, he never he never believed, and you can tell me I'm wrong, Jace, but you never believed that finally I would say something to you and I actually meant it. And I would say, you are out on the street. I am not helping you anymore. I will help you go to treatment. And that's it. Right. Oh, I can absolutely attest to that. And I'm not, and I'm not sending you any more money. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if you don't have any money. You know? Because you have to do that because otherwise, if they're in the comfort of your home and you're giving them money and you're feeding them and you're you're putting clothes on them and you're doing their laundry, um, they're going to go out, they're going to use, and they could easily overdose in your house. Right. And And that's happened to people that we know. Um, So without, without putting your foot down and saying, hey, this has to stop. You can choose to continue if you want, but we can't deal with it anymore. That That's what helps um, as far as the families go anyway. Right. And um, so this organization taught us how to do that. And I'll tell you, the most empowering thing I ever did was the first time I said no to him. Mm. Was you know? It wasn't easy, though, was it? It wasn't easy. It took many years. But you know what? I did it, and the world did not come to an end. You know, and that's what you think, because you're afraid. When, when you send your child to treatment and they come out and you're hopeful for recovery, you're afraid to say anything to them, because you're afraid that something that you do or something that you say is going to put them over the edge, and they're going to, they're gonna, because of what you did, they're going to go back and use again. But we learned that we're not, power, we're not that powerful <laughs> to cause that. Right. Yeah, somebody tell us why you give yourself that much credit. <laughs> I get so, it, though. I understand it. I, I, I understand where you're coming from on that. So anyway, to, so to continue the story, Jason was at an all-time low. And he ended up living in a crack hotel in Miami. And he called us, and he said, I just want you to know that I'm sitting here with a dealer. He has a gun to my head. Oh God! So I said, <laughs> I said, put the dealer on. So he puts the dealer on, and I said, shoot him. Am I right, Jason? No, he didn't. He didn't, he didn't say that. He said, I Jason. I, he said, he said, I said, shoot him. Okay, then I guess you're going to have to shoot him because we're not sending you any money. Right. Jason says you did say that, Dad. I didn't. You know, yeah, you I did. did. He says you did. I did. Yeah, I did. So he was obviously at an all-time low, and we were really scared. And I was so scared that I called the Miami police 
And I said, you want him arrested. right. I said, my son is in this hotel. Um, I gave him the name of the hotel. Obviously, they knew where it was. And I said, can you please go get him? I said, he's 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 an addict. He's doing probably many illegal things. You need to arrest him. Because I knew if they arrested him, he'd be safe. Right. Um, so they sent somebody over there, but they couldn't, couldn't they couldn't find him. They didn't really know what to do, so they didn't do it. In the meantime, Jeff was Googling... Um, alternative to 12-step treatment. It's a non-12-step. And he came up um, with a site of an interventionist. And he contacted her. And um, and she, she spent a lot of time on the phone with him. And you could probably talk about right. this. Well, yeah. I wasn't on the phone with you when you did this. She gave me the okay. name of... Well, anyway... Fine. So she talked to him about Narconon, but we didn't know anything about Narconon those days at all. I never heard of it. And um, there was a treatment center in California, in San Francisco, that was based on Criminon, which is another thing that L. Ron Hubbard devised for the treatments of addicts in prison. Right. But she didn't really tell us a whole lot about the program. Told us more about the sauna. Yeah, she told it us everything. Right, right, everything that she said made sense. Um, the first thing she said is, "We don't believe that it's a disease. We believe it's a choice." We always believed that. Right. So that that, that made sense. Me. Right. That made sense immediately. And then she started because I called her afterwards, and she started telling me about the sauna and the drugs, you know, being in the fatty tissues. Um, and that when a person works out or sweats or stresses, how they get released, and that's where you get your cravings from. And that, that was made perfect sense to me because I remember that when Jason would come out of the other programs, the thing that made him relapse is that he couldn't deal with the cravings. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, really? He's not going to have any cravings anymore? And she was telling me, because she had gone through the program, and what a bad addict she had been and she went through this program and she went through the sauna and it was it made an amazing dif- uh, difference once the sauna was done and i thought wow you know this is really good so i said okay we're sending him <laughs> i got him, literally got him a plane ticket that night i had a friend of mine in miami go with her boyfriend to this terrible hotel and pick jason up get him to the airport and, and got him on a plane. And he literally had nothing with it. Yeah, he, he, he said he didn't even have an ID to this, to this day. We're he, not exactly sure how he got on the plane. Well, I'll tell you how I called American airlines. I said, my son was flying out to San Francisco. His wallet was stolen <laughs> and he has no ID. He has to get there. What can he do? And they told us it wasn't a problem. That, and they told us where he needed to go in the airport. And thank God he listened to me and, and did it. Flew out flew out to San Francisco that day. And he literally just had what he was wearing on his back. Um, what they do is they ask you, you say, oh, my God, I forgot my license. Or, and they ask you questions because it's like Big Brother out there. They know exactly what's going on in your life. When Jeff lost, lost his license and we went on a plane, they asked him, 
what was the prescription that he last had refilled at CVS? Oh, my God. <laughs> they know everything. Wow. It's bizarre. Okay. Yeah. But so he got to California. And while I was on the plane to California, I decided maybe I would read up on this program that we were sending him to. And um, I didn't know anything about L. Ron Hubbard in those days. <laughs> Or anything, you know, I didn't know what Narcan I was about at all. And I'm reading about it and I'm thinking, oh my God, what am I sending him to? <laughs> you know, because you, you go on and there are some not so nice reviews from people. Yep. Which, and these are people who are not knowledgeable at all. Right. Um, but you don't know anything about it. So you read what, you know, you believe what you read. And I'm thinking, holy cow. What did we do? So I called oh, up the inter- I called up the interventionist and I said, I I think we made a mistake. And she asked me why, and I told her what I had read. And she said, I'll tell you what, let him stay for two weeks, and if he's very uncomfortable, we will find another place for him and we will just transfer the money. So I said, Okay, great. That night, Jeff and I went to our support group, Learn to Cope, and I'm telling them about this program that, that we're sending Jason to. He was just arriving, and I said, I, I don't know what I did. I'm a nervous wreck. We shouldn't have done it. You know, I even, there are people calling it a cult, and, and I said, I don't know, maybe it's a cult, and this very wise woman turned around, and she said, Answer this question for me. Would you rather him be there and be clean and sober? Or would you rather him be, would you rather him still be using and with the possibility of overdosing and dying? She said, if it was me, if it was my child, I wouldn't care if he was a Hare Krishna as long as he's not using. And I said, you know, you're right. And it turned out that Jason loved the program. And it did wonders for him. He was a new person. He was back to his old self. Um, because we were enforcing tough love, when he got on that plane, I told him he would not hear from us again until the program was over, which was four months later. And um, it wasn't that we were totally in the dark because he had um, a family counselor that would, that would call us or would email us to tell us how he was doing. But the next time that we spoke to him was the night of his graduation. Mm. And um, after that, we went out, we visited with him, and we were so thrilled with who he was and what he had done. And he actually, he stayed on, um, like they do at Suncoast and he became an intern, um, did an internship and he was going to work for them when the owner of another program, and I, Jason's already discussed this with you. He had a rehab to get off psych meds, um, actually asked him to come over and work with him. And that, that started Jason's journey. And, um, we have now become very outspoken as far as addiction goes. We spent many, many, many years not telling anybody about this. Right. And I'm, I'm saying nobody. When, when he was 
in his active addiction, I virtually never left the house because I couldn't deal with anybody or anything. I paced my house. I didn't go anywhere. I spent my days crying. Um, I'm going to cry now. It's okay. <laughs> I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. And it was very difficult on my relationship with Jeff because he was able to compartmentalize it a little bit better than I was. And I refused to go out. I wouldn't do anything. All I did was be in the house and be upset because I was afraid the phone was going to ring and, and it was going to be something bad, you know, and every time that Jason would call us in those days, I would never answer the phone. I'd wait to hear what the voicemail said. So I would know what I was dealing with before I called him back. It was an incredibly horrible existence. So now, you know, flash forward to him finishing this program. And it was the first time that I felt he was on the right track. I never felt that way when he got out of the other rehabs. Wow. The other centers. Because he may have been clean from drugs, but he still had an addict mentality and behavior. Right. And that has to change. And that's what he's what he learned from this Narconon program in California because he learned why why he started using in the first place and then they taught him how to deal with these problems without using drugs as a solution. Exactly. So he realized now he didn't have to act like an addict anymore. He, his behavior totally, totally changed. It was like night and day. Um, you know, he, he is like he is now. So you know him that way. Yep. And so it's been quite a journey. Um, I'm not going to say that every day since then was perfect for him because it wasn't. He still had some issues after that. Um, but he was able to get back in with, with Narconon and in the last almost, was it four years now, Chase? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Three years, four four years, four years this week. Yes, Um, actually. Yeah. Four years this week. Um, he has been amazing. Um, he loves what he's doing now. He, he makes us. He makes us proud of him. And we have learned that there's nothing shameful in having an addict in your family. Um, So that we now have become very outspoken as far as addiction goes. Everybody in our lives knows about Jason. And it's funny we because we have them listening to the podcast. Yeah, we have our friends <laughs> listening to the podcast. That's awesome. Yeah, and um, oh no, what, what was I saying? Okay, oh. and now that uh, that we're out with this, people who run into to run into addiction problems with families or people that they know call us for help, and so it's been. A long journey and a long path, but I, I, I love the fact that we're paying it forward now. Jason's paying it forward, um, hopefully helping many, many people. And, um, you know, we're always out there to help other families because we know what it's like to be on the family end of it, which I think sometimes is harder than being on the addict. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys talking to us today. I, 
I think that a lot of people out there are going to relate to your story. And just thank you guys. Thank you for talking to us today. So that was, that was, that was amazing. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great to hear their side of everything. Um, obviously, I knew their side right. of everything, but, you know, I think that story can only help other people and it can only help other families and other addicts because I, I know I've said this before, but, you know, when a family goes through addiction, it's one of the loneliest feelings in the world. Absolutely. And so it's, I think it's beneficial for other families to hear that they're, they're not alone. That's right. That's right. That's right. I, I think your parents, well, they did a great job because look yeah. at where you're at today. Yeah. What, how, how, excuse me. How old do you turn tomorrow? 36. 36. So you made it to 36. Some, somehow, someway. <laughs> I, I am still here. Um, and I'm glad to be here. And I'm glad to be helping. And like my parents said, you know, I pay it forward. Yes. Because, you know, people that were there to help me. Exactly. And people there to help my parents, and as they pay it forward, I pay it forward. Exactly. That's, that's what I'm going to continue doing. Well, thank you for getting your parents on today. No I really problem. enjoyed talking to them. Me too. I, yeah. I hope they come up and I get to meet them face-to-face, because I think we'd get along. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, we'll see you same time, same place next week. Next week. We're going to be back here doing this again. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Johnny. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 